Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I'm going to have a conversation with you about my faith. Uh, Don't tune me out yet, because to be honest with you, I don't really have a strong opinion about, you know, where, where, where you should be in your faith or you know, whether you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Christian, um, a Catholic, I honestly don't care. And, you know, I've been all over the world and Karen, I've had the fortune of, you know, spending time, uh, with Muslims. I've spent a lot of time with, um, Buddhists and, and Hindus, um, Hindus specifically. We spent a lot of time in Indonesia. Um, I, I've just had the privilege of, um, you know, seeing through all of that. So again, don't tune me out because uh, just because I'm going to share with you, you know, a little bit about my faith. I just want you to understand a little bit more about me. And I have so many of you that reach out and tell me all the time that, you know, you appreciate the con- content and the authenticity and the encouragement. You know, when I set out and started investing for freedom, I really had one goal and that was to share um, just the truths that I've learned and continue to learn half the time when I'm sharing something with you or, uh, for, uh, yeah, I guess with you, um, it's fresh. It's not necessarily, you know, things that I learned 20 years ago. So when I started investing for freedom, my goal was to just kind of share the life that Karen and I have built. And the cool thing about it is what freedom means to you is completely different than what freedom potentially means to me, because we all have our own life. We all have our own desires. We all have our own, you know, measuring tool. It doesn't really matter how much money I make compared to how much money you make. What matters is that you really understand, as I always talk about, what do you really want? Why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it? Measuring the results and then adjusting because again, as we grow and as our lives change, you know, our desires change, um, we change. And it's interesting because in the couple's mastermind, even just last night, uh, Karen and I broke out uh, into, we broke the guys and the girls out into groups and we had a conversation. And one of the questions was, uh, when we bring up the word chaos and stillness, what is your current relationship with that? And we love conversations like this because, you know, it really shows us a lot about ourselves. And, um, it, it was a great conversation because what we learned through that process is the majority of us, um, we thrive on chaos because we're growing and, and we're, we're always wanting more and we want our businesses to be better and, and we want to help more people. And, you know, we want to create more content and we want to, um, you know, be with more friends. And so our schedules, our, our kids and soccer and basketball and the vacations and, um, all of that, it creates chaos in our world. But the reality is that's why we need stillness. We need a place to be still and come back to and, and that meditation. And, um, I love the scripture, be still and know that I am God. Um, who is God to you? Um, I would love to hear back from you, you know, reach out to me. Uh, let me know who God is to you. I would love to hear it, but you know, I'm going to explain to you a little bit today who God is to me. And to me, God is breath. It's life. And just even again, the fact that we were designed by God, the creator to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, um, to subdue and conquer. 
Like those are all things that I truly believe. And, you know, you go back to Genesis and, and here's the thing that I'm going to say right out the gate. I don't know if the Bible is the exact, you know, word for word penned word of God. In fact, I have a hard time believing that, you know, with all the translations and time and everything else that has gone on that, you know, that didn't get misconstrued over time. So do I think that the Bible is, you know, the, as people would say, the infallible word of God and that, you know, every single thing that's written in there, uh, again, through translations and time and everything else is like, <laughs> I hate to say it, but gospel, like there's no other truth. Not necessarily. Um, you know, and I think over time, this is why we have so many different, um, you know, religions. And I mean, even within Christianity, how many different sects of Christianity are there, you know, um, Mormonism and Pentecostal and the first Baptist church and the second Baptist church and the third Baptist church. Uh, I, none of that matters to me. So I'm not even, in fact, let's just start here. I don't go to church. I'm not opposed to going to church. I actually, um, you know, we recently moved to Austin and I visited a church and um, I, I like going to church actually, because you know what I really like is people. I like community. And I think that that's the real reason why we get um, into a church is because we're looking for that community of people to hold us accountable and, and to lift us up and, and to strengthen us. And so again, you're getting some insight into my beliefs. I'm not anti-church at all. I actually love the church and I think the church has its place, but I'm not a full-time going church member because I haven't found a church that I love. Um, and I get community and fulfillment in other ways. And so, you know, I can hear some of you probably already saying, well, Mike, you know, the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. There's one thing that you're going to find out about me. I don't spend a lot of time talking about it, but I know the Bible really well. And as I share my story, you're going to understand why. Um, it's not because I studied the Bible so that I could quote it, or as I used to say, sword fight, because I have no interest in sword fighting and trying to prove you wrong or, or me right or anything else. But I do believe that the reason why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together is because we need community. And it's so much easier to rally around people that are like-minded. A great example of this, a great example of this is GoBundance. So, you know, the, the elders of GoBundance did such a great job. They, they just wanted to find like-minded people. And so there's the six pillars, you know, authentic relationships, bucket list adventures, extreme accountability, age-defying health, there's the uh, horizontal income. So there's these pillars that, that we've rallied around. That's a community. There, we're, we're rallied around a certain set of beliefs. And that's really where, you know, the church comes in. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm in no way trying to, you know, tell or convince you that what I believe today is right or wrong. And I would never try to convince you about your faith or spirituality. I just, again, want to give you insight because so many of you have uh, say, said, number one, that you appreciate it. But number two, I get a lot of questions and, you know, it is a big part of, of me and who I am and, and my backstory and even who I am today. So wanted to just open that up and share it. Um, so let's go way back. Um, and I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll kind of tell a story about how we got to where we're at today and, and tell you, I do believe that at the end of the day, there's some foundational principles that I think God and the Bible and whatever, you know, book you believe in, there's probably some foundational principles there that if anybody applied them, you would be successful in life. And I fully believe at the end of the day that, you know, the Bible actually says this, God, God is not a man that he should lie. 
And so I believe that there are foundational principles that the entire world was built on, that if we tap into those, whether we're a Christian, whether we're a Muslim, whether we're a Buddhist, whether it doesn't want, something is right. And, and whatever out there is right, it, it is what it is. And someday we're going to know, or maybe there's nothing, you know, maybe it's uh, maybe it's an abyss and the atheists are right. Um, but the reality is whatever the world principles are founded on, I don't think that we can ignore them. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are atheists, who are um, agnostic, um, who have done very, very well. And I think the reason for that is because they've tapped into uh, foundational principles of the world. So do you have to know God or do you have to believe in a certain God to be successful? No. To be a loving human? No. To be a good friend, no. To be a good husband or wife, no. To be a good son or daughter, no. In fact, when we go back and we think about the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, those were just foundational principles that were actually, hey, here's how, here's how we think, uh, or here's how God, according, because, I mean, Moses got him off the mountain, right, in the tablets. and um, So here's how God says we should live. And these were a set of rules that, by the way, um, what I truly believe, um, to be honest, is that those are a set of rules that no, no human can perfectly abide by. No human can be without sin, which as we go forward, I do believe that that is why ultimately Jesus Christ died and gave his life for us and, um, you know, abolished all sin and made us one with God. And I believe that we walk in that. Um, now, are we always perfect? Not to man's standard, but I believe that through grace, we were saved. And, you know, I've said this so many times, the reality is if and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is an excuse for us to continue a sin or whatever, but the reality is we're not perfect. And so if we're trying to be perfect, then there's a scripture that I love. And it said that, um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is where I get a lot of my grace from when it comes to people. Um, and by the way, this is, I'm a work in progress because I used to just fly off the handle and everything else. But what I realized is that, you know, we're just so imperfect and, if we were expected to be perfect by God, like in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, I mean, even that, we would have to, they would have to go to the temple and sacrifice a pure lamb, animal, whatever, in order to atone for their sins. Well, Christ died for us so that we don't have to do that anymore. Now, is this, a, is this an excuse for us to go out and sin? No, but the reality is um, it's a work in progress because we are never going to be perfected until the day that we are perfected, whatever that looks like. So, that's what I believe ultimately is that, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And ultimately um, it, it's working through that process. This journey, I believe, and I do, I, I, there's different parts of different faiths that I really like, and I can understand how they got them um, or how they arrived to the fact that they think this is true. And maybe it is true. I don't know. Um, you know, like the Catholics and purgatory and, you know, this holding place, it makes, it makes sense to me. Um, you know, the LDS, I have a lot of LDS friends and, and have since, you know, all the way back to high school. And, um, even in high school, I wasn't really, I wasn't a believer. Um, I went to church when I was really young, but not for very long. And I literally remember asking my grandpa, uh, my, my dad's boss, uh, my stepdad's boss, we worked on a farm. His wife would pick me up and take me to Sunday school because my parents didn't go to church. And I remember she bought me this, you know, picture Bible. And as a little kid, I remember reading the, the story of Noah and Noah lived to 960 some years old. And I remember going to my grandpa and I was like, 
hey, grandpa, like how, how did Noah live to 960 some years old? And I'm trying to get him to, my grandpa was always like a heady guy. And he's like, well, you know, time was probably different then and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I remember from a little young age being, you know, interested and, and curious about God. And I remember sitting money out on my, my dresser. Um, I'd set that money aside and it was for God. And I couldn't figure out how like God was going to get that money. Um, so I didn't really have a mentor around it, but again, as I'm growing up, I had a lot of LDS friends and, you know, I can see why they get some of their beliefs because some of it makes sense and maybe it's true and maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, but this is all a process and that's what I'm really getting at at the end of the day. And so again, I'm going to go backwards and kind of tell you where, where Karen and I came from and then ultimately, you know, kind of the journey and, and, and where I'm at today. So when we go way back, um, you know, as I was growing up and many of you probably know my story, but I don't want to assume that you do. Cause you might've just started, this might be your first episode. Um, my dad growing up was, uh, and I won't go deep into this cause if you've already heard my story, you don't want to hear it again. My dad was, um, you know, he was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. Um, he was abusive in and out of my life. Um, my, my mom finally, uh, did, did the thing that she needed to do. And she got out of that relationship when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old or something like that. And ultimately met a guy who is my stepdad and who, uh, I call him my bonus dad. Uh, he didn't, he didn't have to, he didn't have to take me under his wing, but he did. And he's been a great human in my life, but you know, not growing up with a father that was present and showed me true love and, uh, just being in that kind of environment, uh, I, there, there's, there's so much that we can learn from good examples and poor examples. And we have a decision to make at any crossroads in our life too, whether somebody wrongs us. I have plenty of reasons, you know, to be bitter and mad at my dad. And I love what Rob Murgatroyd said when I had him on the episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. Cause he's one of the most inspiring people. Uh, I'd really love talking to Rob, but he had made a comment about a, a friend in his life. Uh, I think it was Darren that, that said, Hey, you know, don't you think there's a statute of limitations on the amount of time that you can blame your parents for your problems? And I just thought that was such a great thing because we have a choice, whether it's our parents growing up, you know, if anybody has a right to be bitter, it probably is from our childhood because, you know, we didn't deserve that. And there, you know, probably wasn't a lot of things that we could have done about it. So many people have, you know, guilt around parents getting divorced or my dad beat me because I deserved it or left because I was an asshole or whatever. Um, and the reality is like, if there is any period of time that we have um, the right to maybe be upset about it, it's probably from when we're a child, because as we get older, we probably do have a part to play in most of this. Um, but the reality is just like that comment, like what Darren was really saying and Rob unpacked this on the episode but you can only blame other people for your problems for so long, including your parents. And so we have a choice at any point in time to forgive and to forget and to move on. And one thing that I've learned about myself as I've gotten older, I'm a very forgiving person, sometimes um, to a fault, um, which I won't go too much into that, but I'm learning as I get a little bit older um, to forgive, but not necessarily forget. And that might sound crazy, um, but not to forget in the sense that I'm harboring um, animosity or whatever, but that I'm not making the same decision again. That's the real challenge around it. Um, so, you know, thinking through this, what I'm really getting at is you have the choice to, to remain in your trauma or, or work through it. And we all have a lot of it and we need to work through it. So continuing on, um, as a teenager, I think, you know, I kind of went off the rails. My mom was working 
you know, sometimes one to two jobs, going to college, trying to make a better life for herself. And my mom was always an amazing person. She's always been there for me. She's a gem. She worked her tail off for us. Um, you know, but when I was in high school, I was the oldest and, and they, they're doing great now. They're, they're really made a, a great life for themselves. My mom and my, my stepdad, um, love them to death. Uh, but you know, that period of time he was working out of town, he was a, a plumber and, and my mom was, like I said, working one to two jobs and going to college. And so they, they weren't, they weren't around much. They were doing the best they could, but you know, this was like the perfect combination for a guy like me to just go out and, and get in a bunch of trouble. Um, which is what I did. I started drinking in um, eighth grade, just, you know, with the wrong crowd and interesting point on the wrong crowd too. I can't tell you how many times my mom said like, oh, you know, I don't know if you should be hanging out with them when in reality, I was probably the one that they shouldn't be hanging around. But, but we do that to each other, right? We either, you know, lift people up or we bring people down to our standards, whatever, which is why Jim Rohn said, we're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But I was probably one of the lead instigators in that whole group. So started drinking in eighth grade, started smoking pot in ninth grade. Um, we were always around older kids in high school because, uh, some of my buddies had, you know, brothers that when we were freshmen, they were juniors and seniors. And, um, so learn to party, learn to do the thing. Anyway, the reason why I set all that up is to say, um, you know, I think it was between my junior and senior year, I was working at Denny's. Well, it was actually, it was before the school year ended. So it was my junior year. Um, it was finals time. I would go to school all day. This is one thing about me. I've always had a work ethic. Um, I always worked. I had to pay for my own truck. I had to pay for my own clothes. Um, when, when it was finals time, I was working at Denny's and what I would do is work from two to 10. When I get off work, I'd work the swing shift and, or when I get off school. And I remember being so tired because I was studying, partying, going to school and working. And there was this guy that was a, a line cook. His name was Kyle. I'll never forget him. And I worked with him and he's like, Hey buddy, you're dragging ass. Like, what's going on? This isn't like you. I'm like, man, I'm tired, you know, just working and studying. And he's like, here, have some of this. And he, well, we had, let me back up a little bit. I had smoked pot with this guy and uh, my assistant manager at Denny's. So he offered me some methamphetamines. And that was the first time that I ever tried meth. And um, that summer, me and my buddies went off the deep end and I really just started doing a lot of meth. And, and by the way, um, there's a part of my story that I have touched on, but haven't fully shared that I think is valuable. And, it, and it's this. Um, and as I bring former versions of myself as a guest, I've never really been ashamed of this previous version of myself. I mean, as I was coming out of it, I was had some shame on me. But, but the reality is if I can help people that are in this position and tell you that, hey, you can come out of this and here's some of the ways you can do this, I'm happy to do it. My kids know a, a big portion of my story. So, you know, we've never hidden any of that from them. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, I don't want my kids to know how bad I was because then they might do it. There's all these things that we worry about and we put so much attention and, and, um, uh, focus. And like Tony Robbins says, where focus goes, energy flows. We never put any of that emphasis and focus on our kids. We said, Hey, look, if we're always open and honest and they're always open and honest with us, then, you know, that's where, I mean, honesty is the relationship and that's where, that's where we win. And by the way, if they ever do get into trouble or have an issue, they know that I've experienced it and I'm not judging them because at the end of the day, like the goal is to stay in relationship, right? at least it should be for all the parents and everything else. And so as long as we have a foundation and a, and a relationship that's built on trust and truth, I feel like we could get through anything. So I've never been concerned about sharing this version of myself. And so anyway, me and my buddies went off the deep end that summer, uh, meth and everything else. But the weirdest thing was like, you know, we were obviously, uh, doing a lot of it 
but the minute school started senior year, we, we stopped doing meth. Uh, didn't mean I stopped smoking pot. Um, but a little bit later that year, um, went off the deep end again, and I won't get in the weeds on all of this, but, uh, after going through that process, I ended up moving out right when I graduated, got my own apartment, um, started really doing a lot of drugs and meth and just went off the deep end. I was getting involved with the wrong people. I was dealing drugs. I mean, there was guns involved, like literally uh, a shooting that I witnessed, all kinds of crazy stuff that you would just not even believe I experienced talking to me today. And it's not something that I'm bragging about or that I'm proud of per se. But again, if you know anybody, um, I'm an open book because I want to help as many people as I can. And, and I came out of this really quick. And so here's the point of the reason why I'm sharing all of this. Um, through a series of events and, and that, there's that saying that life happens, uh, for us and not to us. There was a whole bunch of things that happened for me and not to me at that point in time, I thought they were happening to me, but, um, I ended up getting arrested. I won't, I won't go into all the details, but I ended up getting arrested and sat in jail for uh, close to a month. And, you know, some of that was a godsend because some of the guys that I was hanging out with, um, my dealers above me there was actually a shooting that had happened and there was some people that had gotten killed and I, I was just kind of running in this circle. And when I got out of jail, they actually had, um, the division of investigation, Nevada division of investigation and the FBI came and sat me down and they're like, Hey, we know you've been involved in some guns and we want to get casings from your guns and bullets and all this stuff. And uh, cause the murder had happened with a nine millimeter and they're like, where were you on this day? And I was like freaking out. And I'm like, Oh, I was in jail. Um, and I was literally in jail, um, but I was scared, you know, and, but I knew I had nothing to do with it. Um, I didn't even know anything about it, but it, it, to be in that place is scary. And so that was, you know, one way that definitely happened, uh, for me and not to me, because if I hadn't been in jail at that point in time, I mean, who knows where that would have gone because I kind of fit I, again, I won't go into the weeds on all this, but some of the timelines and the places that I had been and the people that I'd been with kind of matched up and that's why they were questioning me. So who knows what that would have looked like. But then also the fact that I got arrested, I was kind of blackballed from um, my 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 groups and my dealers and all of that stuff. And so when I got out, um, you know, they were, I, they were kind of blacklisted. They thought maybe I was a narc and so I couldn't get drugs, which is a good thing. And by the way, there's a, there's a story, there's a story in um, uh, Atomic Habits, which I'll circle back to in a minute. But as this progressed, um, this is where my wife enters in. And so I had been dating Kara and she's such a godsend. Um, I had dated her in high school and we partied a little bit, meaning, you know, drink some alcohol and that kind of stuff. But she, once I, you know, once I started losing my way, we, we separated. And so we are, uh, we are high, we are high school sweethearts. Um, but it, I wasn't always a sweetheart. Um, so we separated for a while. And when I was in jail, she had grown up in a Catholic, her parents were Catholic. And then uh, eventually they uh, converted to uh, Christianity, which again, I'm not here to split hairs on, you know, whether one is the same or different or whatever, but they started going to this more Pentecostal church. And um, when I was, well, prior to being in jail, Kara um, had decided that she was going to give her life back to God and start going to church and had really kind of cleaned up her life. And so when I was in jail, she wrote me a letter about the love of God and how God was forgiveness and it didn't matter what you'd done. Um, this is why Christ died for us. And the crazy thing was she even in that letter wrote, um, which by the way, if you don't listen to her podcast or follow her, um, go listen to her podcast. It's called Marriage, Money, and Mayhem. This is an amazing podcast where she primarily brings on 
you know, awesome, powerful women that are just doing amazing things in the world, whether it's, you know, raising awesome children or, you know, women syndicators, women business owners, women coaches, like um, just an amazing, amazing conversation over there. So she's, she's an amazing human. Um, get your wife's turned on to that marriage money and mayhem. It's a great show. Um, and also follow her on Instagram at, at, uh, Kara underscore Ayala. But anyway, she's just such a gem. And in that letter, she had wrote to me that, you know, her parents had even said that when I get out, if I needed any help, um, that they would help me. And I don't know why, but that just really set me back. It really was probably one of the first times that I really started seeing like, you know, why would these people want to help me? Um, cause up to this point, and this is not a, at this point in time, my parents had a restraining order on me because I had literally like broken into their house and taken stuff from them. I, they wouldn't give me my truck, um, which they were co-signers on. So they had every right to it and I wouldn't have given it to me either. So I'm not like faulting them for any of this, but the fact that they wouldn't give me my truck, uh, I was pissed about it. And so I went and broke into my own truck in the middle of the night, ripped out stereo system. Believe it or not, I was homeless for a few weeks, um, living on couches when I could, slept outside sometimes, slept in a car. The night I broke into my truck, I slept in my truck and then stole my stereo the next morning. Um, so I was literally homeless at one point. So I get this letter and, you know, I'm thinking, I'll never forget when I was sitting in jail too. I, I like, and this was so hard to watch that I had put my mom through this too. My mom was graduating from college, getting her nursing degree and all the family was in town. And I was like, mom, please come bail me out. I, I don't want to miss your graduation. And she's like, nope. She like stood her ground and good for her because, you know, I needed to be there. I needed time to, to, to really sit there and that's the thing that I've said so many times with addicts too, until they're really ready, there's not a whole lot you can do for them. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have programs and, you know, court mandated stuff and everything else. But the reality was I needed to sit there. I needed to get ready. And so, you know, Kara's parents offering that and Kara offering me help and um, sitting in jail when I finally um, was able to get out of jail. I don't know why this is another version of, you know, sometimes things happen um, for you and not to you. When I got arrested, I didn't even have drugs on me. Um, this was the most fortunate way to get arrested. I had actually reconnected with some of my old friends and I was like, hey guys, I already was like wanting to kind of change my life a little bit. The thing is, is you really don't know how. And so I connected to some of my old friends and I said, hey, you guys want to go out and drink some beers tonight? And I'm probably, I don't know, I was 18 maybe night. I think I was 18 at this point. Um, and they, they said, yeah. So in a little context too, just for age, I graduated when I was 17 cause I started school early. Um, so I met up with my friends and earlier that day, a buddy of mine had given me a keychain vial. He had, he had wanted this bottle of eternity cologne that I had in my backpack. I was living out of a backpack and I said, sure, what do you got to trade? So he traded a keychain vial it was empty, but it had trace residues of methamphetamines in it, which I didn't know at that point in time. I stuck that thing in my pocket, didn't think twice about it. Um, go down to the park that night with my buddies. I'm having a couple beers. We're meeting some friends and the cops just swore me and they arrested me. Well, this is the version of, you know, sometimes ha things happen um, for you and not to you. They actually literally arrested me and they told all my friends that were there that I had like an ounce of methamphetamines on me, which wasn't true. Um, they had told them all these lies. They arrested me with trafficking, with the um, trafficking, possession with intent to sell, all these things that ultimately didn't stick. They just stuck me with whatever, whatever they could. And I don't know if that's even practice nowadays or if it was even practice then. It was the weirdest thing ever. But that's one of the reasons too, like while when I got out, like everybody was like, why are you out so fast? 
after spending almost a month in jail, they thought like I was probably going to prison. And really, um, the the uh, the keychain vial had to get sent off to the Washoe Crime Lab, the Reno Crime Lab, to get tested. And so by the time the the test came back, they finally the judge released me on my own recognizance because they didn't even have anything on me other than a minor in possession of um, alcohol, and I had a warrant out for my arrest for not paying a ticket or something, and then um, uh, paraphernalia paraphernalia charges. So anyway, I sit in jail this whole time and it's just enough time for me to get my, you know, thinking straight, um, get my head on. Then Kara's telling me about God and her parents are saying they're there to help me. I'm thinking about, you know, how I've destroyed my family life. I get out of jail and I immediately was like, okay, you know, I need to try to get my life together. I start going to church with Kara. I started going to a youth group there. Um, even though I was on the older end, um, they let me go to the youth group and I started going to church and I gave my life to God for the first time and really started, you know, entering a relationship with God. And, you know, there's a few things that I'll say through this whole process too, but, um, I had realized a few things through, through that period of time. I mean, number one, again, back to being a forgiving person, like I really didn't harbor any resentment toward my dad, but also the fact that the fact that I knew what a father was not supposed to look like, it really taught me a lot about God because every time I would read about God, being the loving father that he is. I mean, you know, the this Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from a, above. Like what what dad of you would give his child a, a a rock, I think it says when when he asks for bread or a, a log when he asks for a loaf of bread. I forget how it says it. Um and I I knew that you know, I knew what a non-loving father looked like, but I also understood that um a loving God like the Bible talks about, and I know the Old Testament talks a lot about, you know, and even the church today. This is what part of the reason why I don't love the church because I think it's a message of condemnation and death half the time. We're not waiting to die to go see our God. Our God lives. Like, I believe that we can have, just like the Bible says, um, God wants his will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So a lot of times, and I'm not bashing Christianity and I'm not bashing the church, but I do feel like a lot of times it's not a message of hope. And I believe in a God of hope. And that, again, it doesn't give us an excuse um, to go out and do whatever we want. But the reality is, if I was a dad, which I am a dad, by the way, and I think this is also a big reason of, number one, having a dad that um, was not a great version of um, a father, I knew exactly what kind of father I wanted to be. And I'm by no means perfect. Um, I've made a lot of problems and challenges for my kids. Um, but, you know, I've tried to live a life of grace toward them and to just be as loving as possible and to try not to, you know, get my emotions into it and realize that they're just little humans when they're little and they're they're struggling. And even though we're frustrated when they're three because they can't really fully tell us what they want and need, um, we have to understand too that they're just as frustrated as we are. And so I've I've tried to, you know, just be the best father. And again, having a poor example of that, I think I really understood when God is a loving God, I have a great understanding of the father because um, God told me that that is not how a whole father would act. I knew this when I got saved and I really started working through um, some of the problems that I had, um, you know, or that I needed to work through really, um, some of the challenges that I had growing up. God specifically like told me that that's not how a whole father would act. And so I started learning through this and I'll never forget on Father's Day, um, Pastor Steve, who was a great early mentor in my life, 
was preaching about, you know, the love of the father and, and how many of us didn't have fathers and were broken. And he does an altar call. And, you know, there's these points in time where I was just like, man, I should be broken. And so I like went up to the altar and I'm just like thinking I should be broke. But the reality was, I think I forgave my dad from an early age. I had some level of grace for him and I don't know why, but then as I further, you know, learned to, um, understand and know what a loving God looks like a loving father, um, I, I forgave him even more and I have no, I harbor no bitterness or unforgiveness toward him. He did the best he could with what he had. I mean, he had his own demons and issues and problems and, um, I, I forgive him. I don't have any issues around it, but also all of this and understanding what a loving dad doesn't look like giving me this image of what a loving father looks like, I think has really helped me to understand God and that God's not waiting to just beat me. He's not waiting to just kick my butt at every mistake I make. Karen and I had kids at an early age. We ended up getting married. Um, she was 20 or no, she was 19. I was 20. We were, we were still in the church. And, you know, this is a big part of our story that you have heard. Um, you know, some of growing up with the father that I did taught me the type of father that I didn't want to be. But also both of those versions taught me um, as I still continue to try to understand who God is today and get closer to God, I see God as a loving father. Um, I don't, I just don't believe in a God or a dad who's whole, who isn't broken himself as my dad was, that would want to beat me or would want to punish me or who would not want to give me the best, who would not want to spend time with me, who would not want, why would you want to make it challenging for your kids to be successful or to be happy? Or, you know, none of us want to spank our children. So I think that whole perspective has just given me an idea of who God is. And I'll continue to talk about my journey for a little bit with the church, but this is also this is also why I've yet to find a church that I'm fully committed to because I just, I, I think the gospel is the message of, you know, good. It's the good truth. It's it. And again, I'm not saying this is an excuse to, you know, that I think we can go out and do whatever we want, but I don't believe in a God who's waiting to spank us. Do we need discipline? Sure. Do we need to learn the lesson? Sure. Do we need somebody up on a pulpit, you know, bringing it front and center every Sunday? Nope. We need somebody explaining to us, you know, who daddy is. And so Karen and I got married, started having kids. Um, we left the original church that we were in and um, found another church that we started going to. It was a young church. It was full of love and just a really exciting church. And we really loved it. And I won't go into the details on a lot of the stuff that happened there. But over time, um, it got really messy pretty quick. So this was probably four years, five years that we were there. Don't know the exact timeline, maybe six. Um, the pastors who started out, you know, it, it truly started out very loving. And by the way, I don't think that every church has to end bad. I don't think it always does, but humans are messy. Um, and when we get into uh, organized churches, um, things get messy. That That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Because just like in any business, um, just like in any um, nonprofit organization, just like with any board of directors, anything else, they all get messy. And a church is no different other than it's supposed to be founded on love and <laughs> a lot of businesses aren't per se. But this particular one lost its way. The pastors, you know, really got motivated by money and power and they started manipulating people. And I think the message turned really sour. 
here's the one thing that I will say. There's so many people that were hurt through that church and Karen and I ultimately left. We were, we were, um, there was a few people that left before us, but we were probably the second, maybe the first or second group of people that left that were, you know, kind of the beginning of the unraveling, I guess, if you will. Um, and along the way I had gotten really, really close to, to the pastor. And there's so many people that are bitter toward God and bitter toward the church and were so hurt by that process. I was not, um, I'm not saying it didn't hurt and I'm not saying that, you know, seeing what happened didn't hurt or affect me, but the reality was I'm able, just like with my dad, um, I'm able to look at that process. If it hadn't been for that pastor, he took me at a very young age and, um, you know, he started meeting me at four o'clock in the morning for, um, coffee because I had to be to work by five. And I would go meet him early and he, you know, once a week and we'd have what turned into men's leadership. And so he taught me so much. He taught me how to be a leader. I was a leader in the church. Karen and I ended up running the youth ministry for a lot of years. And by the way, there's some amazing humans that are still in our world today um, that are amazing adults that are doing awesome things in the world that were part of our youth ministry. Um, you know, some of them have become business partners. Literally one of them was in our couples mastermind last year um, with her uh, significant other. And so I wouldn't trade that time for anything. Just like I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my time when I was little. I mean, would I have loved my dad to be present and everything else? Yes, but it's what made me today. And, and if it hadn't been for that time with, with the pastor and all the leadership things that he taught me and, and being so close to him and learning what I learned. I mean, I went to a Franklin Covey symposium, which was my first, um, official exposure to leadership. You guys have probably heard me talk about Norman Schwarzkopf and his rules before. I learned that through that. He put me through, or the church put me through, um, you know, what matters most in leadership courses and taught me time management. Um, so many leadership foundational principles that, you know, really shaped me in a short period of time into a strong leader. You know, some of the reasons why I was 24, 25 years old, actually 23 years old, running a $3 million casino expansion was because I had a mentor who was there to coach me and train me. I could call him and meet with him when I was running into challenges, you know, leading guys that were, you know, twice my age and had uh, three times, 10 times the experience that I had. And, and yet there's this young punk kid that's leading him. Those are the, that's the way that I, you know, take away from this stuff. And so um, the church ended up ultimately dissolving. The pastors got divorced and it was just a disaster. It was a mess. Karen and I came out of that. And obviously, you know, you don't come out of something like that, not affected. But the reality was, is I was never bitter toward God. Um, humans are humans. And anytime humans are in the middle of something, it gets messy. In fact, my pastor's pastor said one time that every health, every healthy body needs a bowel movement. And he was talking about, you know, people leaving the church and the church getting cleaned out and this and that. But again, I'm not, uh, I just wanted to share my story and I'm not bitter I was never bitter toward God. And I actually don't even really, um, I don't even, I've, I've very rarely have conversations about the church itself because I do believe that churches, this is a generalized statement, but I do believe that churches are a place. If it hadn't been for the church, I would not have turned my life around. And let me just real quickly share the atomic habit story. If you've read Atomic Habits, then you, you, you know this, but there's a story in it and it says in 1971, as the Vietnam War was heading into its 16th year, Congressman Robert Steele from Connecticut and Morgan Murphy from Illinois made a discovery that stunned the American people. While visiting the troops, they had learned that over 15% of the U.S. soldiers 
stationed there were heroin addicts. Follow-up research revealed that 35% of service members in Vietnam had tried heroin and as many as 20% were addicted. The problem was even worse than they had initially thought. This discovery led to a flurry of activity in Washington. I'll skip over some of this. Um, They wanted to promote prevention, rehabilitation, and to track addicted service members when they returned home. Lee Robbins was one of the first researchers in charge in a finding that completely upended the accepted beliefs about addiction. Robbins found that when soldiers who had been heroin users returned home, only 5% of them became re-addicted within a year, and just 12% relapsed within three years. In other words, approximately 9 out of 10 soldiers who used heroin in Vietnam eliminated their addiction nearly overnight. To change your behavior, change your environment. Robbins finding contradicted the prevailing view at the time which considered heroin addiction to be permanent and irreversible condition. Instead, Robbins revealed that addictions could spontaneously dissolve if there was a radical change in the environment. In Vietnam, soldiers spent all day surrounded by cues triggering heroin use. It was easy to access. They were engulfed by the constant stress of war. They built friendships with fellow soldiers who were also heroin users, and they were thousands of miles away from home. Once a soldier returned to the United States, though, he found himself in an environment devoid of those triggers. When the context changed, so did the habit. Compare this situation to that of a typical drug user. Someone becomes addicted at home or with friends, goes to a clinic to get clean, which is devoid of all the environmental stimuli that prompted their habit, then returns to their old neighborhood with all of their previous cues that caused them to get addicted in the first place. It's no wonder that usually you see numbers that are the exact opposite of those in the Vietnam study. Typically, 90% of heroin users become re-addicted once they return home from rehab. So, I rarely talk negatively about the church because that's a generalized statement and that assumes really there's nothing wrong with the church. In fact, if it hadn't been for the church and the amazing community, which I think is the important part of this, you know, Jesus actually says in the Bible where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them also. That to me is church. That to me is uh, congregation or community. In the book of Acts, it talks about how they went from house to house breaking bread. And, you know, there's whole movements that are like, don't go to church. We go to house church. Or, so, you know, a lot of churches are like, that's not church. You're, you're not supposed to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is ripping yourself out of the environment that you need to get away from. And this isn't just about God and church. It's about heroin addicts in Vietnam. One of the reasons why I think I had such a dramatic change from, you know, methamphetamine and I didn't have to go to rehab I was on probation and I did have to, you know, take um, drug tests and I had an ankle bracelet for a while. In fact, um, not necessarily my proudest moment, but when I proposed to Kara, I don't know why she married me. I jokingly say that it was for my money, but the reality was Kara and I had nothing. Um, I had an ankle bracelet on when I asked her to marry me and I had, she had to come to my house and I cooked her dinner at my, it was my parents' house, by the way, I was living back at home. And so I had to cook her dinner. Um, and so again, you should go listen to her podcast because she's, she's a gem. You're probably thinking, why in the heck did you marry this guy? Um, and I still sometimes am wondering why, cause she's just the best person in the world. Um, but yeah, I had to, you know, I cooked dinner for her at my parents' house. They all left and, and I proposed to her in my basement, uh, in my parents' basement, which was my bedroom. Um, so getting out of that environment, if it hadn't been for the church, number one, I don't know that I would have made it. Um, cause I do have an addictive personality. I mean, when I decide to go bow hunting or learn to make beer or, you know, kombucha or whatever it is that I, I get very into it. I was very into methamphetamines and I don't know that, I, I don't know that not having that community and, and not having God in my life and not having that support. I don't know that I would have made it honestly. 
um, I think I probably would have ended up dead. And that's not an exaggeration. So I think the church is important. And also the reason why I know the Bible so well is because we went all in and I spent so much time in the church and I spent so much time studying. And here's the thing that, and I'll start to wrap this up. The thing that I love about God and that I love about the Bible, and I'll circle this back to what I was saying before. I believe that if you tap into the principles of God, you don't even have to have a relationship with God. This is why there's so many successful people that are not necessarily, you know, people there, this is the thing in, in Christianity or religion in general. Um, they think that, you know, in order to prosper or to do whatever it is that they think, you know, is their goal, like you have to know God. And the reality is there's so many prosperous people that have no relationship with God. And so bringing it back to the principles, this is what I really love about God and the world. I think he, God is not a man that he should lie. That's what the Bible talks about. And there's, there's foundational principles. You know, some of them that I love, you guys have heard me say this before with Zig Ziglar. You can have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Zig Ziglar was a Christian, by the way. To me, that's just another version of, like the Bible says, with the same measure you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. That's just another, it's a foundational principle. So whether Zig says it this way or whether the Bible says it this way, it's a foundational principle that God created. And so I would encourage all of you, no matter what your faith is, to really tap into the foundational principles that um, the earth was made on. You know, just even as, I don't know how many of you that are listening are content creators or, you know, idea people when it comes to visionary or um, businesses or ideas or whatever. Ecclesiastes actually says there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that is ever going to be created has already been created. God is all knowing. Now, does it need to be manifested in the earth? Yeah. But really, if you tap into ancient wisdom, if you tap into, you know, God, and again, I think sometimes the church gets it wrong because it's a message of death, meaning receive Christ. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. And I think, I think God is a, a message of life. I think we're supposed to live um, on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that God is here with us. I believe that Jesus lives in me. I believe that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, I have access to that. Um, and again, you know, a lot of this is just foundational principles. And again, I think he's an all knowing and an all loving God. And I don't look at God as him trying to beat me up. I do a good enough job beating myself up. And I think that's repentance is feeling bad about it and understanding what you did and moving on. And I don't think that God's waiting. I think God's waiting for us to learn the lessons, but I don't think he's waiting for us. I don't think he's waiting to spank us because of what we did. Unless again, we don't learn the lesson over and over and over. There's when I think about foundational principles, and again, I just wanted to share with you what my, you know, what my faith and beliefs are and just some of the background. Um, you know, if you invited me to church with you, I would, I would go with you. Um, I, I probably actually honestly would. It, it'd be like anything else. I mean, you know, I'd have to check schedule and time, but I'm not anti-church. I actually love the church. I think the church has its place. Um, but it's just like anything else. It's, we need community. And that's why I think the church is important because as a baby Christian or somebody that just um, found God, we need taught, we need foundational principles, and we're probably not going to get that on our own. And so that's why I think the church is so important. And, and the community aspect of it, staying engaged and not losing your faith and continuing to read your Bible or whatever it is you believe, um, that's important too. And just like anything else, 
you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you're a believer and you start hanging out with, you know, drug addicts, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to become a drug addict. So I do think the church is important. And I think that's why it said, don't forsake the uh, assembling of yourselves together. But in the New Testament, you know, it wasn't, and I don't think there's really a right or wrong in this, but in the New Testament, it wasn't a church on every corner. They just literally were a community that went from house to house breaking bread. And so I don't think any of it's right or wrong, but I haven't, um, you know, decided to get my membership card to a, a church again. So that's just where I stand. Um, you know, kind of wrapping this up to um, when I was talking about the content creators. I think there's so much wisdom in the Bible. And, you know, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you one quick story. Um, it's in Luke 5, 2 through 1. This is a story, and I literally one day just got this as I was driving to, to Vegas. This story popped in my mind, and it, it really, this formulated my perspective on how I think about business and partnerships. So in Luke 5, 2 through 1, it says, And he saw two boats by the lake, he meaning Jesus. But the fishermen had gone out, had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they'd worked all night on their own, doing what they knew to do. And these guys were not new fishermen. They knew their stuff. They were done. They were tired. Master, we had toiled all night. But nevertheless, they did it. They listened to him. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. I already shared that, but I think it's important. Then they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled the boats, both the boats, so that they began to sink, to sink. And what I love about this, and this is like, literally, this is how God speaks to me. I just was remembering this. And again, I was in in a vehicle driving to Vegas and I just started thinking about that, you know, and when we're working on our own, um, we're out here just battling it out. We're getting our butts kicked. Um, and I'm sharing this example because this is kind of how I think through life. And I think that God is powerful and, and he wants such amazing things for us. Just like in this example, um, <laughs> Jesus already knew that they'd been, you know, fishing all night. He, he told them to throw down their nets and they caught so much fish that it was too much for them. It made their boat start to sink. It was so abundant and there was so much that they had to call to their partners to come bring another boat over and their boat almost started to sink. And so this is what I love about God because God is so, you know, in my mind, he's an abundant God. He's not a God of lack scarcity. Um, even though the, you know, the pastors lost their way and they got focused on money. And so many people say that money is the root of all evil. And the Bible doesn't say that it's the love or the, um, I forget how the Hebrew, I, I studied this at one point in time. There's a word for it. Um, the um, it, It's like almost infatuation. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so getting focused on it, it's not that God doesn't want us to have an abundant life or live well or do great things. In fact, the more abundant you are, the more people you can help, which again, with the same measure you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? Or as Zig Ziglar said, you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. And so the more abundance we have, the more we can give out into the world. 
and, you know, employ people and give them jobs, provide better services, provide better benefits. Karen and I were just talking this morning. Like, I want to have a business at some point in time that's so prosperous and doing so well that I can have, I have a coach that I work with. His name's Dr. John. And my, once a week I get to get on a call with him and he just helps me get my mind and my perspective and everything so in focus. Someday I want to have that for all of my employees. I want to have like an on-staff um, mindset and performance coach. Uh, that's because the more that I, if I can help them accomplish their goals, they, you know, this is the dream manager concept too. If you've never read the book, dream manager, read that. Because the more you can help other people, the more abundance you have to help other people, the more that just keeps coming back to you. And so that's the God I serve. And the reason why I brought up um, this story was like, yeah, that's a story of abundance. And most people talk about that, that it is a story of abundance. But the thing that I started thinking about was it wasn't only that Simon Peter did so well, he had to call to partners. And so when we get a vision in business, um, and I don't mean to go off on this, but I get so many people that are like, I don't know if I want to bring on a partner. And, you know, we talk about who, not how all the time. And the challenge with partners is you have to make sure that you're aligned and, you know, there's so much that you don't know about your partner. Karen, I've been married for 23 years and and there's still so much that I'm learning about her. Um, so it's the same thing with a business partner. Um, but God is such a God of abundance that when we get an idea and we go and execute it, it's for the world. It's for everyone. And it's a thing of abundance. And so that's why I wanted to share just one example um, of God speaking to me through the word of God um, and then being, being inspired by it. And so, you know, I, I am a believer. Um, so to, you know, answer some of your guys's questions when you, when you reach out and thank me for, you know, intertwining it and everything else. I am a believer. I'm not a traditionalist per se. Um, I don't think that somebody has to go to church to be saved. Is it easier? Um, in accountability, always, it's always easier. Just like GoBundance talks about extreme accountability. That's why we have pods in GoBundance. We have pods of, uh, three to five guys. Accountability is key. But it doesn't have to be, I don't have to go to a thousand person go abundance event to get my accountability. We have these events, you know, two, three, four, five times a year that we go and we go get filled up, we get energized, we get excited, but then we stay in our little pods of accountability. And so I'm not anti-church. I'm not anti-institution. Is it required? No. Is it easier to stay accountable? Probably. Um, so that's kind of where I stand. Um, Karen and I and the kids, we all went to church. Um, by the way, when, when we were going to the church, the kids were really little and they were there a lot. Um, so they're, they don't really have a strong interest in, you know, really going to church. And probably a lot of that was from when they were little, the parts, the boys remember it. Kate and I don't think remembers it so much. Um, but also, you know, we didn't, we didn't, as they grew up, we didn't go to church always. We would sometimes when we were on vacation or whatever, but the reality is we always talked about God. Um, they know where we stand in our faith. Um, we allow them to develop their own faith. Um, but yeah, I just thought it might be valuable for you guys to know a little bit more about that and where I stand. And hopefully, you know, maybe it, uh, maybe it helps some of you guys that are, you know, maybe in transition. And I talk to people all the time that, you know, love God, believe in God, but they were hurt by the church. Um, it's not a good excuse. Just again, you know, there's, there's a, there's a statute of limitations. This is why I brought this up. There's a statute of limitations that, that, we can blame our parents for our childhood trauma. Well, it's the same thing in my mind. You can't be mad at God and you can't continue to fault every Christian or Muslim or Catholic or whatever you came out of um, because 
of what some won or because of what some church did. So there is a statute of limitations on the amount of time that you can be mad about it and still function as a prosperous, abundant human with a relationship with God. And so I can stand before you and say that, you know, I'm not bitter. I've forgiven. I've moved on. I love God with all my heart. Um, I believe that God loves me. Um, I believe that we should experience heaven on earth. I believe that God has so much more for us than Ephesians 3.20 even says this, that God, it to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think, or imagine. You know, we, we, we set these vision boards and we think, we do thinking time and we do journaling. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask, think, or imagine. And so I don't think that most of us have even begun to tap into the amazing things that God actually has for us because some of us have, you know, some big visions and some big goals and we've got vision boards and God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that, all that you could ask, think, or even imagine. Like that's just crazy. And so um, more than anything, I just wanted to share that story with you because if you've been hurt in the church, um, you know, try to move through that. Um, God is not a God of, um, you know, abuse and all of that. People get in the way. Um, humans are messy, but you know, we have to forgive and we have to move on. And so, um, there's some insight into the mind and faith of Mike. Hope you enjoyed it. And for those of you that will never listen to my podcast again, (laughs) because I was a drug addict or because I'm a crazy Christian or whatever, Um, I'm sorry. Hopefully you'll come back. By the way, as I wrap this up, um, one last thing, I don't know if you've listened to a few of the previous episodes, but, um, I'm starting a private community because I want to be able to share more about my truth. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's going to (laughs) be a, um, a religious sermon. Uh, it's not, um, cause again, that's not, that's not part of me. Um, meaning giving a religious sermon. I, I, when I want to talk about God, I talk about God and God is a big part of my life. But if you're interested in the elite community, text the word elite to 480-531-7519. This is really important to me. And I think for those of you that are going to join the elite community, you're going to, I think it's going to be really um, important to you if you feel called to it because um, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, so many of these platforms, we can't say what we really want to say. We saw that going through um, COVID, which I've got a buddy that just got out of COVID jail after a year and a half of, you know, being trapped and, and they finally figure out that this was all just a, you know, crazy, whatever. Um, we, we just learned that. I mean, they're censoring everything. Um, the ministry of truth at the white house and, you know, meta, all the censorship stuff, companies that are literally being hired to be the censors. Like, it's crazy. Like who knows what truth is anyway, it's all subjective. And so, you know, if you want to, if you want to find a place where you want to join me, I'll be in there coaching. I'll be in there mentoring. Heck, if only one person shows up, it's going to be me and you for the week. Um, I don't care how many people are in it. I just want a place that I can own the list, go share the truth. And it's funny because once I started thinking about this, Um, I've known people that have had their Instagram taken down, Facebook shut down, people that were spending $500,000 a day have their Facebook shut down because Facebook didn't like them. Um, so I started talking about that. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted the elite community too, because I wanted to say whatever I want to say. Literally last week when we were in Hawaii, my Facebook got deactivated because they said I was impersonating somebody else and I can't get my, or 
I don't know if I said Instagram or Facebook, but I can't get my Instagram back so far because they say I was impersonating somebody. And the fact that it was deactivated, can't even file a complaint because no username exists. So a couple lessons here. Number one, realize that you don't own your content. You don't own your lists on these lists that are owned by somebody else. You don't own your data. You don't own your pictures. You don't own your captions. You don't own any of that. I had so many reels, audios and all kinds of stuff saved. It's all gone unless I get that back. So lesson number one, you don't own that. Um, lesson number two, make sure that you have a community where you can speak your full truth and they can't just shut you down. So if you're interested in joining the elite community, text the uh, word elite to 480-531-7519. Thanks. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.